Hey there, 2020 listeners. This is Deborah Roberts, co-anchor of 2020. We've got a new spinoff series we think you're going to want to hear. So we're making it available for you right here on our podcast. It's called Bad Romance. Have a listen. An Iowa woman goes from lover to stalker. She sends 15,000 harassing emails and texts, but it goes so much further. Arson, a gunshot. And for one man, it seems like there's no escape from this tangled web. It's a huge place, this park, and somehow it feels bigger in the dark. And a killer is in the park tonight, carrying a loaded gun. A woman is out for a walk, alone. She said a female approached her from behind, told her to get on the ground, and then fired a shot at her leg. She said the female ran off into the woods and then she felt it was safe, so she walked this pathway and called 911 because she had left her phone in her car. 911, what's the address of your emergency? I've been shot in the leg. Oh, my, my feet are like soaked in blood. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the assailant still there by? I don't think so. They took off running. Do you know what she looked like at all? No, she's behind me. Councilwoman's police responded. They had a helicopter over, could not find a suspect. This was a shocking event to have occur. No one was able to find this woman with a gun running through Big Lake Park. It's a mystery that started three years earlier, 10 minutes from Big Lake Park in Omaha, Nebraska, with a man named Dave Krupa. Dave Krupa was a 35-year-old mechanic Dave Krupa was just a normal guy, a really nice guy. He wasn't the kind of guy you'd expect to find in the middle of a murder mystery. My name is Leslie Rule, and I'm an author. Leslie Rule was so intrigued by this story that she wrote a book about it called A Tangled Web. Rule is the daughter of legendary true crime author Anne Rule, who wrote the book The Stranger Beside Me, about her friendship with Ted Bundy. Dave Krupa liked women. He made no secret about that, and he made no apologies. Dave is recently separated from Amy Flora. They've been together for 12 years and have two children. Dave Krupa moved to Omaha in 2012. He got a small, single-dad apartment, and he got a job at an auto repair shop there. Well, I didn't know how to venture back into the dating pool. I'd been out of it for a long time. So I felt pretty rusty, so internet dating was the way to go. The first person Dave met on an online dating site was a woman by the name of Liz Gallier. Her full name is Shanna Elizabeth Gallier, but she went by her middle name, Liz. Liz was a single mother with two children, and her kids were about the same age as Dave's kids. She had a business, Liz's housekeeping. Liz loved taking selfies and sending them to her friends. She was sexy, she was bright and shiny, and she was very engaging. 
Dave was upfront. He absolutely did not want a commitment. He just wanted to have a little fun. And he was clear with every woman he met that that was the case. I was kind of going wild, just, you know, being free for the first time in a long time. So a lot of online dating, but then he meets somebody the old-fashioned way, just by accident. I'm at the counter managing the shop, and I'm the person greeting customers when they come in, and an extremely attractive woman walks in the door. It's a woman named Carrie Farber. When we looked at each other, there was a little spark. You know, we both smiled. Carrie Farber was a 37-year-old single mother to a 14-year-old son. She was a computer programmer at a big firm in Omaha. She's showing me something inside the vehicle, and we're standing there, and we're very close, you know, within a couple inches of each other, and there's some tension. Carrie talked to me about meeting Dave, and she was like, you know, this guy, totally not my type, but there was just something there. Carrie and I ended up going to Applebee's for our first date. We hit it off. As we're getting up to leave, I asked Carrie if she wanted to come over, hang out. And she said, yeah. So we went back to my place and we shared a kiss. And then it got a little hotter and a little heavier. And then Carrie stopped and said, okay, if we're gonna do this and this implying sex, that's all it is. Where you're not my boyfriend, I'm not your girlfriend. I felt like I hit the jackpot with that. I, I couldn't have wrote it better. So, first date goes well. As Carrie is leaving, Liz Golier, the other woman Dave had been dating, comes down the hall of the apartment complex, unannounced, to pick up a t-shirt she'd left at Dave's. No words exchanged. I walked Carrie out the front door, and she walked right by Liz, and they probably saw each other for six seconds. Out there in the hallway, in just a few seconds, three lives are changed forever. Carrie's job happened to be right around the corner from where I lived versus an hour from where she lives. She had a big project coming up at work. She was working very late hours. Dave offered for her to stay at his house so that she wouldn't have to make that commute back and forth. Dave Krupa wakes up and gets ready for work. And about 6.30 a.m., he gives Carrie a kiss and he leaves for work for the day. She's on the couch, got her laptop out, she's doing her thing. So I gotta go to work, so I say, I'll see you later. I had expected to see Carrie that evening. When Dave said goodbye to Carrie that morning, he had absolutely no idea the nightmare that his life was about to turn into. Mid-morning, Dave received a text, and he glanced at it. It was a message from Carrie. She texts me and says, let's move in together which was very left field. As soon as I can, I text her back and say, I can't do that. We haven't known each other nearly long enough for that. And almost immediately, I get a message back that says, fine, I hate you, I'm dating someone else, I don't want to see you anymore, uh, you know, go away, lots of profanity. I didn't know what to think. I was blown away. She just changed very quickly from the fun and happy person that he had known just that morning. It was a day, maybe a day and a half of radio silence, and then my phone starts blowing up with texts from Carrie along the lines of, I hate you, you ruined my life, you're a terrible person. I thought, okay, I don't need this in my life. I dodged a bullet. This is after dating just two weeks. Maybe Carrie just wasn't who he thought she was. So who was Carrie Farver? She grew up in the small town of Macedonia, Iowa. Macedonia is a very nice place to raise kids because you can um, let your kids walk down the street without worrying. 
Carrie was very close to her mother, Nancy. They talked every day. She had a lot of friends. She was very gregarious. You noticed Carrie when she walked into her room. She had a laugh, she had a smile. You were drawn to her. It hasn't been easy raising Max by herself, but she has no regrets. She just doted on him all the time. But I think she was a little overwhelmed just being on her own in her late 20s. She started developing depression. Carrie had been diagnosed in her 20s with bipolar disorder. There was a couple of times when she just would stop taking the medication because she said, Mom, I feel like I'm just numb. But by 2012, Carrie is in a very good place. She landed a good job as a computer programmer. Max was just going into high school. Carrie was so excited about classes he was taking and the sports that he was playing. I started getting text messages that said that she was taking a job in Kansas, which totally threw me. And so I texted her back, and she would not call me and talk to me. But Nancy figured she'd see Carrie soon because Carrie's half-brother was getting married in just a few days. Her son Max was to be an usher, and she promised Max that she would return for the wedding. Carrie didn't show up to pick up Max, and she didn't call. Everybody was stunned. That's when I reported her missing. I called the sheriff's office, and they had somebody come out, and they took my report. Nancy mentioned to the police that Carrie had been diagnosed as bipolar. I said, well, yes, she was on medication. The police jumped on that and said, when somebody who's bipolar stops taking their meds, sometimes it can start some really erratic behavior. Things are going to get stranger and scarier. Carrie writes, my favorite thing to do is stand outside your window and stare at you. What do you do when somebody invades every space of your life? This man's life is about to become terrifying. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. Welcome, mystery enthusiasts. If you're a fan of uncovering hidden clues and solving mind-bending mysteries, then you're in for a treat with June's Journey, the thrilling detective game set in the mesmerizing world of the Roaring Twenties. Dive into the glamour and intrigue as you engage your sense of observation to find hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter unravels a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles, testing your detective skills to the limit. Go deep into the mysteries of June's journey, navigating through intriguing chapters. The thrill of solving each puzzle will keep you coming back for more. The storytelling is absolutely captivating. You'll be hooked from the first chapter. Whether it's during your commute or a cozy evening at home, June's journey is your new go-to game. Make sure you've got that internet connection ready for an uninterrupted detective experience. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. What had he done to make her hate him so much? In the space of a couple of hours, she had gone from what seemed like the perfect woman 
to a spiteful, foul-mouthed nut. As for Dave Krupa, after the day he got that first bizarre text, he starts getting a stream of angry messages. Carrie's rage seems to be focused on his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Liz, the one he dated before, Carrie. And Carrie is contacting Liz, too. Liz gets into contact with me and says that now Carrie is harassing her via text and email. She wanted to know how this woman that she just had this chance encounter with at Dave's apartment got her phone number, got her email. One day, Liz arrived home from work to find that her garage had been vandalized. She found that someone had written pour from Dave on the inside of her garage in spray paint. When Liz tells police that the common link between herself and Carrie is Dave Krupa, they decide to pay him a visit. The police show up at my work looking for me. I pulled out my phone and said, no, she's lost her mind. She's going crazy. She's harassing me. And then their tone certainly changed from an accusatory one to, oh, okay, we've seen this before. When I'd get text messages, I would just say, please call me. I just need to hear your voice. And she would say, uh, well, this has got to be good enough for you. She was absent for her own birthday. She missed Thanksgiving. She wasn't around when her son Max turned 15. She even missed her own father's funeral. And when she didn't come home for that, her mother knew that something was very, very wrong. Okay, maybe she had gone off her meds. There had been times in the past when she had thought, maybe I don't need these. While Carrie's family was afraid for her, Dave Krupa was growing afraid of her. I would regularly receive 60 plus texts a day, 100 emails a day it was not uncommon. Carrie would refer to Liz in her messages. She is nothing. She's a fat cow. She looks like she lost her puppy. Maybe she'll do us all a favor and kill herself, LOL. One night in January, about two months after all of this started, Dave came home from work and there was a vehicle in the parking lot. He got closer to the vehicle and he recognized it to be Carrie's Ford Explorer because he knew it very well. That was how they met. He had worked on the vehicle. So I took a picture of the license plate, sent it to the police. He had no idea at the time how big of a piece of evidence this would turn out to be. The police in Iowa are looking for Carrie Farber as a missing person. But less than five miles away in Nebraska, just across the Missouri River, police are looking for Carrie Farber as a stalker, somebody that is harassing Dave Krupa and Liz Gollier. There was a mint container found in the car that had one perfect fingerprint on it. But that fingerprint didn't match Carrie, and it didn't match anyone in the FBI's national database. So that lead, so far, is a bust. There's just no information, no leads. Her son, Max, sends her one short message on her Facebook page. All it said was hi, and she immediately wrote him back, hey, little man, how are you? He asked her to answer three questions to prove that it was really her. And she never responded to that message. Then Carrie posts on Facebook, I've answered enough questions to prove myself. I'm not missing. I just don't want to come home right now. 
Dave and Liz referred to Carrie as Crazy Carrie. That was what we would say, Crazy Cherry. Oh, Crazy Cherry this. Oh, I got another email from Crazy Cherry. The messages said things like, I hate you so much, I want to drive a knife through your heart. Hey, loser, so am I ruining your life yet? The trauma that they were both going through brought them back together, and they started dating again. It was actually extremely common for us to be hanging out, and both of our phones would start blowing up with text messages and emails from Carrie. I get an email, and it's a picture of what looks like Liz tied up in the trunk of a car. And it says, I have Liz tied up in the trunk of the car, and you need to call her right now and tell her you hate her. She's a whore, otherwise I'm going to kill her. I call Liz, and I say, hey, you're not tied up in the trunk of a car, are you? No, no, ha ha. All right, good, good night. And at that point, it was just another day. It just wasn't even shocking anymore. I get a call from Liz, frantic, freaking out. My house is on fire, somebody's burned my house down. Luckily, her children were not home, but many of her belongings were still there, including two dogs, a cat, and a snake, and they all were killed in this fire. There is audio of the officer at the scene talking to Liz about the fire. From what I've seen so far, look at the sign, this is it's pretty obvious this is an intentionally set fire. The guy that I'm seeing, he has a girlfriend who dated for two weeks, and she's been stalking me since November. Do you know her name? It's Carrie. C-A-R-I. Dave's auto shop is vandalized with a message for everyone to see. Dave beats women in fluorescent orange spray paint. Dave became a nervous wreck. He purchased a gun. He was always on edge. In January of 2014, I drove from Sioux Falls to Omaha to visit with Dave. I have known Dave since high school. Dave and I have just always had a special connection. We've always been more than friends. We were in the living room of the apartment, just chatting old times. Within a couple of hours, his phone was going crazy. Apparently, Carrie saw come in. I actually got a uh, text to the effect of, I see you in there with that whore. He told me that he was having issues with an ex that was stalking him. And the next thing I hear sounded like a gunshot. Dave Krupa's old friend Heather is visiting, but another woman is right outside. Sounded like a gunshot to me, which was actually a brick being thrown through the bathroom window. Dave called the police. They came over and talked to Dave for a few minutes. After the police left, Dave had me get into the car with him, and he said he needed to go check on Liz because Carrie had threatened Liz in the past prior to this incident with me. Dave's ex and the mother of his children, Amy Flora, was also getting threatening messages from Carrie, calling her all sorts of names. Nothing was being done about it. The police had dropped it off at some point, so it was just something I had to deal with. 
being stalking her ass was just part of life. The case had become cold. Detectives Ryan Avis and Jim Doughty worked at the Pottawatomie County Sheriff's Office in Council Bluffs. We'd heard about the case. It was kind of water cooler talk around the office. Is there more to it? Is there something else that we're not seeing? What we did first was just go back to the case file. We started looking through everything that the previous investigator had. Jim's gonna work it like she's dead, and I'm gonna work it like she's alive. I'm gonna try and prove every which way I can that Carrie is still alive and is out there, and Jim's gonna try and prove every which way that she is not. There's no activity in her credit card or checking accounts. Nobody's seen her, nobody's heard her voice. Just the emails and the texts. And one of the things about these text messages, they don't look like they're written by Carrie. They're filled with spelling errors and grammatical errors. And her mother said Carrie never would have sent messages like that. Detectives Doty and Avis were aware that Carrie had been diagnosed as bipolar, but they didn't think it had anything to do with why she went missing. How many people in the world are bipolar and they don't just go missing for no reason, whether they take their meds or don't take their meds? She had a good income, a good house. I had come to the conclusion that I could not prove she was actually alive. So if Carrie Farver is dead, what happened to her on the morning she left Dave's apartment two years before? To me, the thing that was glaring was Liz. This lady had no involvement in Carrie's life until all of a sudden she went missing. According to Liz, she only met Carrie once in this brief encounter outside of Dave's apartment. All of a sudden, she's this focus of harassment. Her name was all over all the reports. Uh, so to me, there was something with Liz. She definitely was a person of interest. And if Carrie's not alive, who has been sending all the messages to Dave, to Amy, to Liz? Myself and Ryan were not digital experts at all, so we had a call one of our coworkers, Tony Cava, who's our digital forensic expert. Carrie, or the person, the imposter who was pretending to be Carrie, sent Dave about 15,000 email messages over a three-year span. So I thought, there's gotta be a way we can track down this digital activity. When Liz was getting all of these messages through the course of investigation, she actually gave her phone to police and allowed them to dump all her files and review them. One of the things they found when they downloaded Liz's phone was a photograph of Carrie Farber's Ford Explorer. We looked at the metadata of that photo and it was taken about a month before police even recovered her vehicle. So somehow Liz knew where Carrie's vehicle was before law enforcement even did. We found an email that Carrie had sent to Dave Krupa. It consisted of a picture of a woman who was tied up. We found that picture of that bound woman in Liz's phone, and the metadata showed it was taken from Liz's phone. They realized that Liz had put duct tape on her own mouth, tied up her own hands, and crawled into the trunk of a car. All signs were pointing back to Liz. And then Liz herself goes to police with a new suspect. I look down the hallway, and I see another investigator walking Liz down our hallway. And she says she's come to this stunning realization. It might not have been Carrie Farber harassing her all along. A left-hand turn in the investigation. An incredible opportunity. And just maybe, 
the break they've been looking for. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Police have been taking a close look at Liz Gollier. All of the investigating they had done was leading them to the idea that Carrie Farber was dead and Liz had been impersonating her this entire time. One of the key pieces of evidence convincing Dodie and Avis is that mint case, the one in Carrie's car, the one with the mystery fingerprint. One of the things we did when we took the case is we had that fingerprint compared to Liz's fingerprints. It was a match. I was trying to understand how this person I spent so much time with could be this other person I didn't know. There's just not enough evidence to arrest Liz, which is when the police get an incredible break. Liz actually comes to them. I look down the hallway and I see Another investigator walking Liz down our hallway into his office. So I eavesdrop a little bit. I hear Liz telling the other investigator something about a harassment report. Liz leaves as Detective Avis sees an opening. Within 30 minutes of Liz leaving our office, I hop in my truck and I drove to her house in Council Bluffs and just knocked on the door. She opened the door and I told her I was an investigator with the sheriff's office and I had heard she had stopped in. Hi. Was it Shannon? Yeah, or Liz. And I told her who I was and that I didn't have a heavy caseload at the time, and I'd be more than happy to help her with whatever report that she had tried to file. She let me come in. We sat down and talked. My sergeant you had just talked to, and he said that you were trying to file harassment. Yeah, a harassment. The reports have been made against Gary Baker. Gary Baker? Yes, F-A-R-E-R. I knew who Carrie was, obviously, and I just played dumb. I wanted her to think that I had no clue of what she was talking about, just to lower her guard. She used to date my boyfriend, only for about two weeks. Liz tells Avis she's come to this stunning realization. It might not have been Carrie Farber harassing her all along. I'm not too sure if it really is Carrie Farber. Liz is offering the police a new suspect, Dave Krupa's ex, 
Amy. Amy Flora is Dave Krupa's ex-girlfriend and also the mother of his children. Now she thought maybe it was actually Amy this whole time pretending to be Carrie, and that would make more sense, right? So Amy still would like to be with Dave? I'm guessing, I don't know. I then request, hey, could I do a download of your phone to extract those messages? We have a machine that'll plug in your phone. Sign right there. You're giving me consent to retrieve information. In that moment, I was so giddy. I can't believe I'm going to download her phone and she's just gonna hand it over to me. When Liz's phone was downloaded before, it was because she was reporting a stalker and they only downloaded current information then. But now, she's a suspect. She was unaware that detectives have the ability to download everything on the phone, even things she thought she had deleted. I ran it straight to Tony Cava. Tony Cava, who is the forensic digital expert, is gonna actually start examining her phone. But in the meantime, there is an even more pressing concern. Dave Krupa's gun is missing. I purchased a pistol for self-protection in case Carrie would come in the house with ill intent towards me or my children. I opened a box, the weapon is missing. So I immediately call the police and tell them I have a firearm stolen. This isn't good because now this person is armed. They've already proven to be dangerous, so it was a heart-stopping moment. Six days after Dave's gun was stolen, a call was placed from Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs, Iowa. It was Liz Gallier. She had been shot, and she was bleeding alone on the walking trail in the dark. I've been shot in the leg. At the beginning, Liz said she didn't know who shot her, but she kind of changed that story and eventually said Amy Flora shot her. I never believed that Amy Flora shot Liz Gallier ever. It was pretty quickly determined that most likely Liz Gallier had shot herself. Amy Flora was cleared nearly immediately that evening. When the shooting happened, this is finally when Dave gets it. How did I not see anything? And how could I be so naive or so stupid or so gullible? Everything you thought you knew was a lie. Deputy Tony Cava is actually on a mission to prove Liz is the culprit. He has the recent download of Liz Gallier's phone and all of the messages that are supposedly been sent from Carrie Farber. Liz signed up for upwards of 20 or 30 fake addresses that say they're Carrie Farber and they're different variations on Carrie's name or even her real email address. Every impersonated message, every text message, there's always a connection back to an account that she has, to a device that she has, or to her house. Kava also discovered that part of her ruse, Liz was using an app which actually allowed her to send messages and receive them at a later time. She was able to send messages pretending to be Carrie, and they would arrive while she was sitting on the couch next to Dave. From Dave's point of view, Liz couldn't have sent it because she was sitting next to him the whole time. It gave a perfect alibi to Liz. We brought her in for an interview uh, about two weeks after she was shot. Dodie tells her he's working on a missing person case. They're trying to find Carrie Farber. The case is regarding uh, Carrie Farber. Are you familiar with her? Barely even know her. Yeah, yeah. I ran into her one time. Okay, okay. Just bypassing her, going into Dave's apartment to pick up my stuff. Okay. We developed a bit of a ruse that we were going to employ on Liz, and we were going to tell her that we had found remains that we believed were Carrie's. The initial indication that these remains are Carrie. 
Okay. okay. Is there anyone that you think would want to hurt Carrie? I didn't know her long enough to know if anybody wanted to hurt her. Liz then again shifts the blame away from Carrie Farver towards Amy Flora. And of course, the police know that Amy has nothing to do with Carrie's murder and that she's not involved in this in any way. I'm just saying, as a, another person who would be possessive of Dave, it would be her. You know, when I'm sitting across from Liz, I knew most likely she was a murderer. And I knew in order for us to solve this, she was going to have to believe that I genuinely thought Amy was responsible for all of it. In my head, I'm thinking if she was bold enough to go and then shoot you, okay, she could easily be bold enough to have done something to Carrie. And that's where Detective Doty tells her that he needs her help to get Amy to confess to Carrie's murder. So we told Liz, if you get any type of messages from Amy that have anything to do with what happened to Carrie, to let us know. Because that like gold to me if we had something like that. Okay. Because then we could start building a case. This is a genius move by the police. The question is, is it gonna work? Liz Golier had no idea that the investigators were on her tail, and they wanted to keep it that way. They set a trap. They pretend to believe that Dave's ex, Amy, is the prime suspect. And Liz starts giving them emails saying they're from Amy. Of course, the police know that Amy has nothing to do with Carrie's murder. The messages, the vandalism, that Amy's not involved in any way. But what Detective Doty really needs are the details about the final moments of Carrie Farver's life. And he explains this in a phone call to Liz see if you could kind of push her uh, for some more info on the carry thing. That would help our case immensely if it was uh, more specific. So you guys want me to try and email her back? I would tell Liz, hey, we need more information, things that only the killer would know. And in the emails that Liz gives them, emails that she pretends are from Amy, Amy confesses. When I met Crazy Carrie, she would not stop talking about Dave and him being her husband. She tried to attack me, but I attacked her with a knife. I stabbed her three or four times in the chest and stomach area, and then took her out and burned her. I stuffed her body in a garbage can with crap. The details were, I mean, they're, they're bone chilling because they were graphic. She writes, I really did kill Carrie, and I did do it in her own car. These emails gave us Carrie's vehicle as a crime scene. So what we wanted to do is go back and look at that vehicle to determine if that crime happened there. We opened up this door, we pulled out the passenger seat, and we pulled off the fabric off that passenger seat, and that's where we found that big red stain right in the bottom of the seat. It's a positive test for human blood. We took the DNA from the blood that we found on the seat, and it was a match for Carrie Farver's DNA. Omaha Police Detective Dave Schneider is brought into the case. Since Liz has an unpaid traffic ticket in Omaha, he can bring her into the station. Now, once she's actually in the interview chair, Detective Schneider tells her the real subject of their interview that day, Carrie Farber. Now, the reason why you're in this chair right now today is because you have a lot of questions that you need to answer for me. Um, her phone was 
at your house right after she disappeared. And I want to ask you how you can explain that to me, please. She's never been to my house. Your fingerprints are inside her vehicle. How would your fingerprints be inside her vehicle? I don't know, because I've never been in her car. Your fingerprints are in there. She definitely was giving me the old evil eye. She was upset, you could tell, by being confronted. For years and years, people have been um, sending emails on her Carrie's fictitious accounts. The IP addresses show up to whose house? Your house. I haven't had internet at my house. All these have been coming from your, from no, your not. house. And I'm not going to be accused of something that I didn't do. The finger's pointing right at you. Then I'm done talking and I'm going to have my attorney because I didn't do anything. Okay. While this interrogation is taking place with Detective Schneider, Detectives Avis and Doty have gotten a search warrant and are conducting a search of Liz's apartment. When we're searching her apartment, we found two things. We found Carrie's digital camera and camcorder. That means at some point, Liz went into Carrie's house and stole those items from her house and has kept them for years after. On Carrie's camera, investigators find video taken just two days before Carrie was killed. She had just discovered that her Ford Explorer had been vandalized. And it's the last known video of Carrie. Okay, so Thursday night, apparently somebody here in the whopping metropolis of Macedonia, Iowa, decided Max's Explorer was not the right color. Somebody thought they were quite the artist. Investigators now believe it was Liz who vandalized the car. Finally, they have enough. They arrest Liz. Douglas County Prosecutor Brenda Beadle takes the case. This was by far the most difficult case I've ever tried. Most homicides are dark. This one was bizarre. There's no way that someone would let their dog die in a fire that they started. There's no way that someone would shoot themselves in the femur. Liz Gallier's defense attorney is James Martin Davis. James Martin Davis is somewhat of a legend in Omaha, Nebraska. A very, very well-known defense attorney. Not only was there no body, there was no crime scene, there was no murder weapon, there was no proof that she even died. We waived the jury trial to move it up so I could try this case, hopefully before they'd find a body. In waiving the jury trial, Davis is requesting that the trial be presided over by a judge as the fact finder instead of a jury. There's one more startling piece of evidence that prosecutors have. Dave remembered he had a tablet that was in storage for the past couple years. Had been in a box for I don't know how long, you know, a year and a half probably. And I don't even know why I thought about it. It had a micro SD card in it. It looked blank. If you plugged it into your computer, it would look like there was nothing there, but there was deleted information. That SD card, it turns out it had been in Liz's phone. It had thousands and thousands of deleted images that she thought were gone, but we were able to retrieve them. One of those images is the last and biggest piece of evidence against Liz Golger. I came to a photo that no one had seen before, and I wasn't sure what I was looking at first, but it turned out to be a human foot. Human foot with a tattoo. And the foot was decomposing. So this person was dead. 
and we were able to figure out that Chinese tattoo was a symbol for mother. What we discovered is that Carrie Farber had that tattoo on her foot. This is a bizarre and twisted case of a fatal attraction. And, and you're gonna not hear a single eyewitness saying, yeah, we saw her kill her. We saw her stab her. The prosecution truly did a masterful job laying out everything they had. Sending the messages, vandalizing, creating chaos, all of it was Liz. Of course, key to the prosecution, those messages sent over years and years of Liz impersonating Carrie and pretending Carrie was alive to her mother and her son. It's so evil. It's so harsh for this family to see these and get hope. I would think to myself, without disclosing my feelings to the client, I thought, holy Christ, this is despicable. But it doesn't mean that they're first-degree, cold-blooded murderers. How could this person do this to my daughter? For what reason, for what earthly reason can you do this to anybody? And with no body, no weapon, no direct evidence, really, could Liz Golier actually get away with it? This is one of the few cases that went to trial with no body, no murder weapon, no witnesses. It's a hard case to prove, it's a hard case to make, and it's even harder to get a conviction. Even with the photo of the foot, the case was still largely circumstantial, and Liz had opted for a trial by judge, meaning there was no jury. Certainly the motive was there, but they were still worried. The web Liz Gallier was weaving, well, she got caught in it. Instead of being the spider, she became the insect. The judge made his decision. Liz Gallier's charade was over. Carrie Farber did not voluntarily disappear and drop off the face of the earth. Very sadly, she was murdered. Liz Gallier, guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison no possibility of parole. I'm glad it's over with. And she's can't hurt anybody else anymore. Nancy and Carrie's son were foremost in my mind. You know, they're unfortunately the ones that have to live with the repercussions. Since 2017, Liz Gallier has been at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women. In 2020, ABC News reached out to Liz Golier for an interview. She declined, but she had exchanged letters with author Leslie Rule. Liz wants out of prison. She's claiming that the real killer is still out there. I will not stop fighting until I am set free and they find the right person. Family and friends can now concentrate on remembering Carrie, not on what Liz did to her. It's almost like murdering the victim twice because first she actually murders her as a human being and then she's murdering her reputation and her memory. It's so fundamentally evil. To me, Dodie, Avis, Chava, they're all heroes. Those guys, they mean the world to me. I can't thank them enough. They're my boys. The three have set up the Carrie Farver Memorial Scholarship for students who are studying computer technology. After all, it's what brought Carrie justice at last. 
It was important for us to clear Carrie's name because she was accused of stalking, she was accused of harassment, and she didn't do any of those things, and that's not who she was. I would just want people to remember her as the fun-loving, talented, and smart woman that she was. If I could talk to Carrie right now, I'd say I love you. I'm so glad that you were in my life. And I miss you terribly. You can watch fresh episodes of Bad Romance from 2020 on Monday nights at 10 p.m., right after The Bachelor. And of course, tune in on Fridays at 9 for all new episodes of 2020. Thanks for listening.